It is a joy to welcome you again here this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 as we are in our study of David, the life of David, a study we've called um, After God's Own Heart. Um, this morning we're in part 2 of chapter, se- of chapter 7 where the Lord makes a covenant with David. Now, as I told you last week, 2 Samuel 7 is one of the most important texts in your Old Testament. This is the place where God expands and further explains and continues the covenant promises that he had made to his people. As we talked about last week, going all the way back to the covenant promises in the garden, to the covenant promises to Noah, then to Abraham, and also to Moses. We're to look at all of our Bible and link it together under this idea or theme of covenant. And in the Bible... God is the one who always initiates the covenant. God pledges himself to his people according to his purposes in grace. A covenant is not a contract. It's not like your contract with Verizon where you can get out of it and change, uh, where you can change uh, uh, providers anytime you want. No, when God makes a covenant with his people, he will not cancel it or change it at any time. And we by God's grace, are not going to get out of it either. God will fulfill His purposes that He makes in His covenant. Now, the covenant promise that we're going to see today in 2 Samuel 7 connects directly back to the promise that God had made to Abraham. God actually gives us more revelation here of what is coming for us. Okay, David is the key link. In your Bible, you need to be able to track things. David is the key link between the promises made to Abraham and those that come to us in Jesus. We get more revelation here of God's covenant with David of what God is going to do among his people. So, the rest of your Bible and the entire New Testament is going to explain how this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise is right here in 2 Samuel 7. So, if you do not grasp The promises made to Abraham and the promises made here to David, you will not understand Jesus. I hope you understand why that's important. There are lots of people who say they understand Jesus, but they have no idea of what Jesus has actually come to do. Okay? So you have to understand that this is all a continuation of God's promises that go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible. Jesus is coming to do what God has promised. Okay? Let me say it another way. There are a lot of people in churches who say they believe the Bible, and they do, and they trust its content, and they do. They can tell you all of the stories, they can tell you about the characters, and they can do all of that, by the way, apart from understanding the grand purpose of the Bible. You can tell the story of Noah, you can tell the story of David and Goliath, you can tell the story of Jonah and all of this, you know all the stories but you don't actually understand the grand purpose and theme of your Bible and the faith that it demands. Now you see, our faith has to be in God's promise as explained in His covenant. Not in the events or in certain characters here or there. I want you to, I want you to get that in your head, okay? Here it is. That is that, that, this is it, okay? Our faith has to be in God's promise as explained in his covenant. 
That is how you are to understand your Bible. In the Old Testament, God makes a promise. God makes the promise, and in the New Testament, God fulfills that promise in Christ. Because ultimately, here it is. There's only one promise. One. There's one promise in your entire Bible. Okay? And that is the promise of God rescuing His people by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, and us dwelling with Him forever, enjoying His presence and glory in the new heavens and new earth that is to come. That we will one day, as I mentioned last week, that we will one day be God's people, those in Christ, in God's place, the very presence of Jesus forever, under His rule and blessing. And we see that being explained here in 2 Samuel 7. So, let's read the text. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 17. This is a part of your Bible you want to highlight and understand. Okay. Here it is. So this is after David wants to build a, build a house for the ark. And God says, nope, you're not, building an ark for, you're not building a house for me. I have different plans. It says there, verse 8. It says, now therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, this is God speaking to Nathan the prophet who's going to go give David instructions. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers, and I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to break this into three sections as you walk through as we look at the Lord's covenant with David. First, notice how God begins. God begins with the Lord's sovereign grace. In David's life. The Lord's sovereign grace in David's life. If you look there in verses 8 and 9, God tells David to remember what's been going on in his life. You'll notice how he begins in verse 8. He says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts. I'll call attention again that the Lord expands his name. In verse 4, it's just the Lord says. And in verse 8, it's the Lord of hosts said. Now, in the book of Samuel, when God calls himself by the Lord of hosts, it is always at very important junctures. And remember, the Lord of hosts is the name of God on the ark, which has been the theme of kind of this whole section. God is promising to David, 
as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all there is, the Lord of all of heaven's armies, that he is going to bend all of heaven's resources in the fulfillment of this promise. That God will demonstrate his power and sovereignty in fulfilling his purposes for David. And you see this in two ways, okay? God points out two ways that the sovereign Lord of hosts has been gracious to David. First, he says that I've, been so, I've, been, I've, I've shown you sovereign grace in your past. Look at verse 8. He calls back to David's past. He says, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. If you go back in the beginning of David's life, it was God who did this in David's life. It was God who made David, who, called, who put him in the home of a shepherd, who formed him and shaped him and chose him to be prince and shepherd over his people. This was not David's doing. This is God's sovereign purposes at work. The youngest of eight boys of a lot of of Jesse, this shepherd keeper out in Bethlehem, this will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. This is God's sovereign grace and purposes. But notice that God says, I've also shown you grace in the present. In verse 9, he says, I've been with you wherever you went. I've cut off all of your enemies from before you. Again, God is promising to David that I've been the one who's cut off all of your enemies. I protected you from Saul when he was trying to kill you. I protected you from the Philistines when they were trying to kill you. I protected you from Goliath when he was going to kill you. I protected you from all of the insurrection that went on with Ishbosheth being set up as king. All of these things going on. I am the one who has cut off all of your enemies. I have fought your battles. It is me. God is sovereignly protecting David and working deliverance for David and for Israel. It's not simply David's wisdom or David's battle prowess. It was the Lord working. So throughout all of David's difficulties and struggles, it was God's power to do what he has promised to Abraham and David. Now, let's pause here as Henry spoke earlier, which is the point. You have to pause here and reflect on your own life. Just take a moment here. It is no less true for you than it is for David. If you are in Christ, it is all of grace. Amen. If you are in Christ Jesus, it is all of grace. Listen, all of your life. Think about this. All of us have, we have a very diverse group of people here. We grew up in different places around the country. We grew up in different socioeconomic places. Some of us grew up in different cultures. We have different backgrounds. But all of us are here today sitting under the banner of our King Jesus because of the grace that has been shown to us. Listen, that is all of your life, all of your struggles, all of your sin, all of your joys, all of your sorrows, all of your difficulties, all of your battles with your emotions and your battles with your relationships, your battles with your bodies as they break down, all of your failings, your wanderings, all of your repentance, all of your faith, it is all of grace. And God is not done with His grace and favor with you. It's all of grace. Listen, that is God's undeserved favor and kindness and mercy and love. 
As the hymn says, God's grace has brought me safe thus far. And God's grace will lead us home. It is all of grace. And that is, do you see God's preoccupation with grace here? God is about to make a covenant with David. And he's like, it's not because you deserve it, bro. It's not because you do everything right. It's, and by the way, there's a few chapters later, we're going to see there's some royal screw-ups coming in David's life. I mean, of, the ep of epic proportions. We're talking the stuff of Hollywood movies. We're talking murder, adultery, all of that. And God still says, it's grace. It's grace. But God's not done with his grace or favor for you or for David or for Israel. And that's point two. So you look at God's sovereign grace over David's life and his past and present. Now look at the Lord's sovereign grace over David's future and Israel's future. Look at verses 9 and 11. God says here, he says, he says I took you from being a shepherd and I've made you a prince over my people Israel. I've cut off all your enemies before you. And then at the end of verse 9, God says this. I will make for you a great name. I will, I'm going to do this. I will make for you a great name. Like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them. So that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Now I want you to notice here that God intertwines his future promises to David and Israel together. They're together. God makes four promises here. Two to David and two to Israel. He actually puts David's promise first, two promises to Israel, and then another promise to David. Thus showing us that these are all going together. That David's future and Israel's future are connected. Right? So the first promise is, he says, I will make for David a great name. He has. Second, he says, I will give Israel a secure place. David's probably thinking, well, we seem pretty secure already. Well, not yet. Not completely. Number three, God says, I'm going to give no more oppression for Israel. And number four, I'm going to give rest to David. Now, all those promises, as I mentioned earlier, go all the way back to Genesis 12 to the promises that God had made to Abraham. Listen to what God says to Abraham in, chapter, in Genesis 12. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Huh. Abraham's name will be great. David's name will be great, so that you will be a blessing. And then God says in Genesis 17, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Kings will come from Abraham. Well, who's king? David. Okay? And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So here, God takes those promises to Abraham, and he applies them to David and Israel. This means, hear me, that God's future plans and promises for his people cannot be separated from God's plans and promises for David. They are forever connected from this point in biblical history moving forward. The promises God has made to Abraham are now going to flow through David and God's people. And you can't miss this. You can't miss this. 
Do you see that God's heart here is continually on his people? The promises he made to Abraham are for his people. The promises he makes to David are for his people. God had just told David, hey, you don't need to build me a house. The ark's in a tent. I don't need a house. I'm content to dwell with my people. I'll dwell with my people, right? So, but now, though they seem to be settled and at peace in their own land, they seem to be at peace with David, God's still preoccupied with their peace and security. I mean, David might assume here, listen, hey, God's given us all of, all of his promises are fulfilled. We're in Israel. We have a king. I've squashed the, the Philistines and the Jebusites. All is well. We're in a more permanent place. The tent, the ark doesn't need to be in a tent. Let's build something more substantial. But no, God reaffirms here that he has more plans for David and Israel, and he will not set those plans aside. He promises to further plant his people in the land and bring them security and safety like they've never had before. And God says, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. So here's my point here. David's rule. You have to see that God again is calling David a servant. And he's saying David's rule is for the blessing of my people. It's not even though my covenant is with David. The point is I am blessing David for the sake of my people. I'm going to do more for my people through David and his line. David is not the end of God's promises but part of the means of God's promises. And all of those means are pointing ahead to what is to come in point three, which is this. Notice here the Lord's sovereign promise to David and his people. This is God's covenant. We get here now to God's covenant in verses 11 and following. And I want to break this into two sections. Look look there. Um, The first section is going to be the determination of God's promises. I want you to see how determined God is to bring about his promises. That all of heaven is bent towards God accomplishing his purposes. Look there, at, look at verses 11 through 17, specifically the end of verse 11. Let's find that. Look at the end of verse 11. He says, moreover, the Lord declares that the Lord will make David a house. David wants to build God a house, but what's God going to do? He's going to build David a house. This is the climax of this entire section. God has already made incredible promises to David about his future in Israel, and now God expands it in ways that are unimaginable. Back in verse 5, God said to David, would you build me a house? Like, David, would you really build me a house? Are you the one to build me a house? I didn't ask for one from Moses. I didn't ask for one from the judges. Are you going to be the one to build me a house? And David says, and God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. God hadn't asked for one, neither had David. David is the one who will be getting in the house in the form of a dynasty. God's not through with David or David's line. He's determined himself to make David a house, and that's all of grace. God is going to make David's house a dynasty. But notice also, not only the determination of God's promises, the indestructibility of God's promises. God's promises are indestructible. Look at verses 12 and following. I want to read that again. Pay attention to every word. God says, when your days are fulfilled, and when you lie down with your fathers, he's saying, David, you're going to die. David is coming. That day's ahead of you. 
When your days are fulfilled, you'll lie down with your fathers. I will raise up for you your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now listen to this. God's promises about David's line and Israel's future are indestructible. Three things. Notice first that death will not stop God's promises. Death has no say over these promises of God. David will lie down with his fathers. David is just a man and will go the way of all men, but that will not stop God's promises. God will raise up an offspring after him. Oh, and just as an aside, God does just throw in there, just as an aside, he'll build me a house. He'll build me a house. Not a big deal, but he'll build me a house. But this, it's more about my promises here. So death will not stop God's promises. Second, notice that sin will not stop God's promises. God says that when those of David's house sin, and oh my gosh, will they? That's what the rest of 2 Samuel and Kings is all about. God says they will be disciplined. But God will not remove this covenant of love as he did with Saul. In essence, God is saying, I might evict the tenants of this house. I might have to kick a few of them out. But the house is still going to stand. Is that going to happen? You better believe it. You better believe that God's going to kick a few of these guys out. But he said, I'm not going to take away my covenant promises. So, death will not stop it. Sin will not stop it. And third, time will not stop it. Time has no bearing on this. God twice says emphatically, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So here it is. Let death do what it wants. Let sin have its way and let time pass on and destroy all that's in front of it. They cannot stop, thwart, change, delay, or destroy God's promises here to David or Israel. It cannot happen. Did you notice here how many times the Lord says, I will in this text? Look, underline every one of them. Look at the, de the determination of God here. I, I took you from the pasture. I have been with you. I will make you a great name. I will appoint a place. I will plant my people. I will give you rest. I will make you a house. I will raise up your offspring. I will establish his kingdom. And I will establish his throne forever. God is determined and all of history and all of heaven is bent towards this end. God's promises are unstoppable. The Lord of hosts, the King of kings, and Lord of lords has spoken. Now, For those that know biblical history, this is my conclusion. For those that know biblical history, for those that have read the rest of your Bible, for those of you that are, are absolutely blown away by, by this person called Jesus, for all of those that know biblical history, death, sin, and time all come. Israel's kings and even those from David's house sin. They fall. They bring God's judgment and discipline. 
God eventually exiles them and sends them to Babylon, destroys Israel, destroys the temple. And God continues to send his promises. God sends them prophets like Isaiah, who said there would be a coming Messiah from the line of David. There's there's coming one who is going to make all of this right. A child would be born, a son would be given. And this son of David, by the way, would commit no iniquity. He would have no deceit in his mouth. This son of David would be rejected and despised so that God's people, all of us, would not be rejected or despised. This son of David would bring a new covenant a new covenant to his people by his own blood as he would bear the sins of his people and give his life for their ransom. This new covenant is the very promise to which all of the other covenants pointed. This son of David would trample for us sin, death, and hell by his resurrection. That's what Jesus would do. This son of David would invite all people To become heirs of the promises made to Abraham and David. You would not have to be born of Abraham's line and be a descendant of David to receive this promise. No, Jesus is going to open it up and say, all of the nations are welcome to come before me. Everyone can become a son and daughter of the king by repenting of their sins and believing the promise of the gospel. They will be welcomed as sons and daughters by faith. This son of David will not simply bring God's people back to this little strip of land called Israel, but will make all things new and restore all things to their created purposes. He'll bring a new heavens and a new earth. He will bring all of God's people safely to the gates of a new Jerusalem. That is good news. He will bring all of us safely home. And by the way, He's not going to bring us back to a temple where there's an ark that's housed. He's going to bring us to the very presence of God, where we will enjoy and delight in Him forever. Now, here's how your Bible ends. Listen to the end of your Bible. All of it's pointing to this one grand end, the grand purpose. This is, these are the, some of the last words in your Bible. John says, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the land, and by its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations And nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the Bible ends by saying, all you who are thirsty, come. All of you who long for the glories of this promise, come. This morning, I hope you see the grand glorious purpose of your Bible. That David is an earthly king, just a king, but he's important because everything in his life is pointing towards the king that's coming, our King Jesus. And we meet here together 
Because it is Jesus who has died for us and given us life and hope in Him. And this morning, if you don't know this hope, this is the hope of every Christian. This is what we have placed our faith in, that this grand story, this promise that comes to us in the person of Jesus is the great, great global goal of the world, that all things are moving towards God's purpose in as he has promised. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, we invite you as Jesus has invited you to come, take of the waters of life, drink from Christ. Place your faith in Him by repenting of your sins and saying, I come believing this promise. This morning you need to repent. If you need to, if you need to repent of sins because you've been walking waywardly, we ask you to repent and come to Christ. Walk with Him. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning that you would speak to our hearts and that, Father, we would see the beauty and glory and grace of Jesus not only in this great story, but also in our own lives. Father, it is you who have shaped us and molded us and made us. And Father, as David said in the Psalms, that, that, that whether, I, whether, I, whether I ascend to the highest places or descend to the depths of Sheol and to the sea, you are with me. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me. That Father, you have knitted us together in our mother's womb and you have written every day of ours in your book as yet when there was not one of them. And Father, that that causes us to tremble and shudder at your glory and your grace. And your purposes for us will not fail because you cannot fail. So Father, may we build our life on the sure foundation of Jesus, living lives of contentment and humility and grace as we have received grace upon grace. So Father, speak to us now. We pray this in Christ's name.